Welcome to the Humanizing Work Show podcast, where we dig into topics large and small related to our mission, which is to help make work more fit for humans and all of us humans more capable of doing great work. You can learn more about humanizing work at humanizingwork.com. Welcome to the Humanizing Work Mailbag, where we answer questions from the Humanizing Work community. If you have a question you've been noodling on, email us at mailbag at humanizingwork.com, and we'll see if we've got a good answer for you. Today's question comes from Lee, who's a longtime client and member of both of our product owner and Scrum Master communities of practice. A quick aside here, we host four communities of practice, one for alumni of our annual conference, one for Scrum Masters and coaches, one for product owners, and one for leaders. And each of these have regular Zoom sessions and an online community, and they're fantastic. We'll drop a note in the show notes for you to learn more about those communities of practice. Now, Lee asked us a pretty detailed, kind of agile-specific question related to her team's context. They've frequently split test automation work out of more complete user stories, and they're not sure how best to represent that work in their backlog. The general question, though, is something like, how do we know whether an item on our product backlog should be a user story or a task, and are tasks even allowed on a product backlog? I guess... To start answering that, we probably should back up and say, why user stories at all? At kind of a principle level, what are they doing? And then we can work our way into directly answering the question. For most software teams, both complexity and value correlate highly with new user-facing system behavior. So if a team is going to incrementally reduce risk and incrementally build value, or better yet, front load for risk reduction and value, it makes sense to organize the work into increments of user-facing system behavior instead of building up a bunch of stuff behind the scenes and then finally having something users can see and finally dealing with that complexity and getting that value. So user stories are exactly this. They're increments of user-facing system behavior modeled from the perspective of the user experiencing that value. When the source of complexity is the future preferences and behavior of users or markets, this is obvious. The best way to know if somebody actually wants what they say they want is to get that thing in front of them and see how they behave. Do they actually use it? Do they pay money for it? But even when the source of complexity is something more technical, like can our team successfully integrate these two systems? The reason for integrating those systems is to provide some new system behavior for some user. And the best way to prove the integration is successful is to do a complete slice of integration all the way out to the user's experience of that integration. In other words, a user story, or probably many user stories, that represent thin slices through that integration. Uh, By the way, you can check out the workflow and meta pattern sections of the Humanizing Work Guide to Splitting Stories for lots more on this, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Now, occasionally, a software team is taking on an effort where the complexity and value are mostly not user-facing. The classic example of this is moving an existing system to a new technology platform without changing its user-facing behavior. In that case, user stories are probably the wrong tool for the job. It makes more sense to structure the work in some other way that will allow the team to incrementally reduce risk and add value. So then the question is, what should be on our backlog but shouldn't be modeled as a story? There are probably lots of things that need to get done in order in order to work effectively as a team that don't benefit from being expressed as user stories. A big category of these is chores that come up from time to time, like updating a tool or a piece of technology. 
like a software team doesn't need to express update to the latest version of our development environment as a user story. Now, that doesn't mean that every technically focused thing should be a chore. For example, I remember when a team at Adobe uh, needed to port their entire code base over to a new version in order to move from a 32-bit architecture to a 64-bit one. Now, there was real user value there, which we could have expressed as a change in system behavior from the perspective of a user, like large file support, access to more memory, etc. But it didn't help us better, better empathize and understand the user need. So in that case, we broke the project down into valuable slices, like port the project window to 64-bit, then port the timeline window to 64-bit, and each of those were releasable chunks of value that allowed us to test the integration all the way through, as we mentioned. And this pattern is sometimes known as integrate and strangle. I do want to make sure I speak to the, uh, the kind of the surface direct question that we got, which was about this test automation work. So the, um, the team is building things incrementally in user stories, but finding out maybe they don't have enough time to do test automation. And so they split that work out and still want to capture it on the backlog. So does that become a new user story or is it something else? Is it like one of these tasks or chores, uh, like update to the latest version of our development environment? And my answer is you could capture those things as tasks, I suppose, better to capture them than not capture them at all and better not to pretend that they're user stories, but I'm uncomfortable with the whole thing of calling work done that's not done. So if test automation is part of your definition of done for stories, and then you choose not to get the thing all the way done, but still call it done and make something else that says, now we're going to do this work to make it really done. Your backlog and your progress through your backlog is lying to you and you're not really reducing risk and adding value incrementally, you're digging yourself into a hole. You're building up debt. And so I think the most sustainable way to do things like test automation is to build it into the work itself. And the most sustainable way to do test automation specifically is test first, because it's just a different kind of work and a more enjoyable kind of work when you use tests as specification and then you build to those. Um, I hate writing tests after I've written code. I actually enjoy writing tests first because it's a thing that doesn't exist yet. It's interesting development work instead of just feeling like it's a chore I have to do to finish out the work that really already works. And so it's just an extra check the box kind of activity. I wrote a whole book about this called Behavior Driven Development with Cucumber that describes how a team can work together to uh, work test first and work story by story without having to separate off the test work as something else. Um, so we'll also link to that in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and want more content like this, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the podcast and rate it on your favorite podcasting platform. We'd love it if you shared the podcast with friends, family, and coworkers that you think might benefit from learning more about how to make work more fit for humans and humans more capable of doing great work. If you want help humanizing your work, you can find out about our products and services at humanizingwork.com. We spend much of our lives working, so let's make that investment meaningful for us and all of the people connected to it.